Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Ladies and gentlemen, Assalamu alaikum and welcome to episode 5 of The Scheme of Things. This is Zaki Khalid. And this is Talha Ibrahim. Talha, it's been a long time and uh, I think I am uh, overwhelmingly, if not uh, partly, because let's be honest here, uh, we've been very busy doing our uh, respect uh, in our respective commitments. Plus, uh, I think the uh, adverse traffic situation in Rawalpindi has really uh, caused me uh, some sort of a dementia that I get extremely drained. But uh, I had to buck up because some of our readers, especially um, people who were sending me emails, are uh, some of our ardent followers. They kept on saying that uh, they were really looking forward to further episodes. So I, I think. Uh, it took us some time, but it's good that uh, we've uh, rejuvenated uh, th uh, the program once again. And uh, with that, uh, I've tried to select one particular topic, which I think has been uh, one of the key developments that has been happening over the past uh, uh, two and a half months. And that pertains to Israel's reassignment to the US Central Command. As we all know, uh, Israel was until now uh, part of the European command and why is that important and especially why should we be discussing this from a Pakistani perspective? Uh, I'll try to share some of my findings. Now, before proceeding, I would just like to inform you as my co-host and the audience that uh, I've, I'm going to present a temporal analysis. It is basically a chronology of what transpired how these things came about because obviously this was not a, uh, an overnight development. And then the second part, I'll briefly discuss how this is going to impact Pakistan in particular. So basically the gist of it is that uh, on the 15th of January, 2021, uh, the US Department of Defense issued a press release saying that uh, the US combatant uh, command plan has officially relocated or reassigned Israel into central command. Now, media was a buzz, and before that, there was gossip on this, but nobody actually gave it the proper attention, which I think it should deserved. So, how did this development on January 15 come about? There's a long history to it, and over the course of my research uh, for the past week, I was trying to collect material for this program and uh, there was an interesting pattern which I believe I among others also overlooked and uh, I think partly because most of these developments were underreported on the mainstream media, number one. So I think that's a big contributing factor. And number two, uh, literally nobody in Pakistan, even I think a brief mention covered it in the mainstream press. And not only Pakistan, I think uh, we also have to give some benefit of doubt. Even the uh, central command media outlets such as uh, uh, Pakistan Positive and these news agencies, they did not cover this for obvious reasons. So we're going to find out uh, how did this come about. So it uh, starts basically in 2018. So we'll have to go back and we'll have to start a journey from there. In March 2018, at that time, the commander of US Central Command, he was General Joseph Wotel. Just to give you some context, who is Joseph Wotel? If you remember that Joint Special Operations Command raid in Abbottabad, Pakistan, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So at that time, Joseph Wotel was the JSOC commander who had overlooked that whole operation. 
when he became a full general a four star general and he was centcom commander he testified it's a practice among the us lawmakers that uh, whenever a military commander is appointed to a combatant command they have to testify before the senate and house armed services committees so general joseph wotel he gave a statement before the senate armed services committee Uh, describing the posture of central command and he highlighted that i quote iran remains the major threat to us interests and partnerships in the central region unquote and he went into details into how iran was trying to now i'm going to quote him again iran is also working through proxies and friendly political allies in iraq syria and lebanon to establish an arc of influence or shia crescent across the middle east as we navigate the many challenges and relationships in our region we partially view them through the lens of countering iran and diminishing malign influence unquote so this is the point where uh, this tilt toward uh, attention on israel from a centcom perspective began according to their understanding the us understanding the regime in tehran needs to be deterred and is according to them a malign influence in the region so we used to think that i personally also used to think that it is only the arabs who claim that iran is trying to create a so called uh, shia crescent around the middle east and the levant but uh, now we see that uh, this is something i was surprised when i came across this uh, posture statement i didn't see this before that the us itself echoes similar sentiments and it strongly believes that that is the case and iran is doing that according to their judgment so what happens is when he delivered this statement the next month which is april 2018 for the first time in history now this is unprecedented for the first time in history a commander of us centcom visited israel it never happened before by any office holder so wotel visited israel and it was an unannounced visit and why did he visit because he wanted to discuss syria and tensions between jerusalem and tehran he met the then idf chief of staff gadi eisenkot and national security advisor mir bin shabat and other senior defense officials interesting fact mir bin shabat is still the national security advisor of israel and he has uh, been consistently overlooking the normalization uh, affairs between israel and arab countries so you can see that policy continuity going on irrespective of the fact that votel got changed and now you have kenneth mckenzie who is the central commander so april 2018 votel visits israel in may 2018 and i think this is the juice and this is the most important development and it surprises me that this has been so underlooked and i read the document it was a special task force report prepared in may 2018 by the jewish institute for national security of america jinsa it's it's uh, known as jinsa so jinsa published this task force report titled strengthening us israel strategic cooperation now the question is who are the mem- who were the members of this task force it was led by admiral retired james stavridis who is a former european command commander of the us navy and some of the task force members include former members of european command and the us missile defense agency 
So we are talking about big former guns in the Pentagon sitting together for JINSA, a Jewish Institute on National Security in the US. And they published this report. And uh, it's a very detailed report. I will share the, um, after this recording, I'll share the document with you. And I'm sure you'll find it a very interesting weekend read. Uh, one of the highlights in that report is that they propose the US should elevate Israel's official standing as an ally equivalent to that of Australia. Now they particularly mentioned Australia because although Australia is part of the five eyes, it has a special status when it comes to signal intelligence sharing with the US. So one of the prominent takeaways and recommendations from that task force report is that Israel should be given a status equivalent to that of Australia so that there is full spectrum of intelligence coordination between Washington and Tel Aviv. And now I'm going to share an extract from that report. It specifically mentions for the first time that Israel should be reassigned from European to Central Command. Uh, quote unquote, Israel's inclusion could streamline US efforts to coordinate among Israel and its Arab neighbors and could simplify the pre-positioning of US war fighting material in Israel for potential operations in CENTCOM's area of responsibility such as against Iran. It could also provide a platform to expedite the sharing of regional intelligence with Israel. Processes aside, it would be an important public statement re, uh, reunifying a common regional front against Tehran." Unquote. So basically, May 2018, now Talha, I'm sure you've been following the normalization stuff going on in 2020 and 2000, uh, late 2019. This is 2018. This is 2018. There is no normalization with UAE. There is no normalization with Sudan, with Bahrain, with Morocco and uh, improved understanding with other countries. So how did this come about? I mean, we're talking if that report came out in May, just imagine that it must have taken several months prior, perhaps uh, mid 2017 to actually have that sort of brainstorming sessions of these leaders going on and them proposing this thing. And I think one of the most important points, I mean, apart from the fact that they're trying to singularly focus on Iran as a perceived threat, I think one of the most important points is the concept of a shared regional intelligence network. Now, for the audience, I'd just like to inform you that this is very important and it's nothing to be, nothing uh, unusual. Why? Because, well, Pakistan among other countries, Pakistan and Jordan, and we have Egypt and we have Saudi Arabia, UAE, etc. These countries which are part of the cent central command area of responsibility. There is a, like every other combatant command, the US central command has a directorate known as J2, the directorate of intelligence. And what that directorate does, J2, it disseminates and coordinates intelligence inputs from military intelligence agencies of all central command countries. So whether it is operations in Afghanistan, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, UAE, Yemen, Iraq, Iran, etc, etc, all of that goes through J2 directorate, which is in CENTCOM. So what they're trying to say is, and mind you again, this is much before the news about Mossad chief visiting uh, Arab countries discreetly, all of that happened a year later. So we have these, I used to think that it was the Israelis who were trying to initiate or proactively try to develop relationships uh, with the uh, 
the uh, Arab neighbors. But now we know that it is actually members of the U.S. military establishment itself, the intelligentsia, who have been propagating this thing. And what does that mean, actually? I think you see recurring use of Iran. Iran is the threat. Iran this, Iran that. Talking about a common and regional intelligence network that actually tries to make it very clear and I think it is evident now that this whole uh, net series of developments which you see the normalization thing going on in this sudden uh, appreciation for uh, Israel's harmony and this and that and whatever what not all of that is appears to be intertwined with the overall objective of trying to contain the Iranian regime now, uh, unfortunately, as in um, some Arab countries, we also have uh, particular interest groups in Pakistan who would say that, uh, well, that's justified. Some pro-Gulf uh, uh, cronies over here would say, well, that's justified because uh, Iran is known to engage in disruptive behavior. And I'm not going to get into the details of that. That is beyond me and that is beyond the scope of this uh, program. But uh, what needs to be said is that whether Pakistan likes it or not, uh, the U.S.'s overall patronage, it is now part of a camp which has declared itself to have an anti-Iran orientation. I think that is the main takeaway. Now, whether or not Pakistan issues statements of neutrality or trying to be just a limited partner, focusing only on uh, joint exercises or whatever not, now that Pakistan is still a part of the U.S. Central Command and it still has a functional relationship between the, uh, its armed forces and the U.S. It is part and parcel of whatever will happen in the future vis-a-vis -vis Iran. And it cannot absolve itself of any, for example, high-level policy uh, initiatives which have uh, ad adverse regional implications. So this was the May 2018 report. Now we come to 2019. In February, Votel gives another statement before the Senate Armed Services Committee. And I quote him, CENTCOM will continue to develop means of maintaining order to combat Iran's chaos, maintaining our competitive advantage in the central region, relies on more than simply overmatching those who would challenge us with a higher volume of forces and equipment, unquote. So, what does that mean? He's saying that we are not just going to bring in lots of tanks and bombers and equipment and material output just to wage a conventional war and prepare. No, it's actually a discrete signaling that the US is not going to go all out against Iran. It will actually rely on countries like Israel and other unknown regional countries to outsource its deterrence against Iran. They want the region to carry the burden of that responsibility. I mean, Talha, you have studied NATO more than me. It's like uh, the US constantly, you know, giving a stick to NATO and telling them that you have to increase your missile defenses against uh, Russia and giving a, a stick to Poland and assuring them that they have to install uh, batteries in Eastern Europe despite provocations from Russia. So this is the same thing going on. They don't want to commit themselves uh, financially and uh, materially that much in the region, but they want the region itself, they want to remain the overall 
a guiding framework for it and so this happened in february a few months later in november 2019 the new cent us centcom commander general kenneth mckenzie just a few months he was appointed in march 2019 so a few months later in november he visits israel now this was the second time that a us central commander visited israel and he met uh, he met uh, with the israeli leadership but here's the interesting thing according to the times of israel uh, and itv news of israel the itinerary of general kenneth mckenzie was not disclosed this is a bit unusual because it suggests that there were some highly classified meetings going on and they did not even publicize who he met with we are we are we don't know about that which is unusual so this was something which surely raised my eyebrow so this was in the first week of november uh, sorry the second week of november two weeks later in the same month uh, the us joint chief general mark milley visited israel to discuss issues of mutual concern with his counterpart the idf chief of staff lieutenant general aviv kochavi of israel so we see that uh, first 2018 joseph wotel then we have 2019 uh hotel successor kenneth mckenzie and then his their boss uh mark milley the joint chief visiting israel now we come to 2020 and and obviously this is the period of corona virus and uh, military operations plans strategies etc all have been disrupted everything is in chaos what happens in march now this is like the peak month of the first wave of corona going on in the world so uh kenneth mckenzie centcom commander issues a posture statement before the house armed services committee and he says quote deterring the iranian regime is the primary security challenge for centcom okay so unquote so he makes it clear now he is testifying before the us lawmakers in the house armed services committee that as centcom commander my primary responsibility is to deter iran very clear we don't need to get into the details of it i think it's very evident so now i'll move on in june 2020 three months later there was an interesting conversation of general Je kenneth mckenzie with the middle east institute i know you're a follower of mei so they had a one on one with uh, mckenzie and th this is something which i noticed in one of the one of his statements which he made over there he said quote from where i sit today the greatest threat to stability and security in the region is iran our responsibility is as us central command to deter iran from taking actions either directly or indirectly against the united states or our allies and partners in the region to attempt to act against the maximum pressure campaign as it continues unquote now obviously who is he actually referring to when he says against our allies in the region obviously the gulf countries but we we also have to keep in the fact that he could also be referring to israel since he just visited that country a few months prior so in december 2020 so this is just i think the end of last year a group of republican senators now i have to emphasize this again republican senators not a single democrat this was not a bipartisan move for those unfamiliar with us politics mostly it is very uh, common that there is bipartisan support for radical policy changes within uh, national security uh, decisions and uh, law making which is going on in the us now a bill was passed in december 2020 moved by 
an all republican coterie led by republican tom cotton of kansas and that bill is titled israel centcom reclassification act icra the israel centcom reclassification act it mentioned that israel's placement in european command would quote optimize coordination among the us israel and their partners in the middle east unquote it made special mention of israel's normalization with certain arab countries while reaffirming shared threats from iran and finally we have next month in january 2021 we see the department of defense issuing a press release that we have decided that we are going to reassign israel to central command so if you analyze that uh, chronology which i have just uh, listed down in detail i will share the document with you it has all the references which i have uh, extracted you can see a very clear pattern going on so this was not more than i think uh, four four years ago not more than four years ago if you take to 2017 into consideration what changed i think uh, for a matter of fact we have to keep some other parallel developments into perspective is it just iran absolutely absolutely is it just iran i think as i mentioned in one of my pieces for cscr i think it has also got to do with turkey and the energy geopolitics of the eastern mediterranean you know why i say this this is not just me an individual saying this but if you read the other statements delivered by us central command and other combatant command leaders over time they have actually tried to have sympathy for israel which actually claims that it is not just iran but the entire uh, babel mandab strait the red sea that area which has the critical choke points of uh, maritime traffic which carries uh, trade and other uh, supplies to and from the mediterranean to indian ocean and i think we've seen many developments going on it, it's there is this uh, strange synchronicity going on Russia is uh, uh, re reinvigorating uh, its efforts to establish a base. We have uh, uh, the U.S. Africa Command and European Command integrating their U.S. Army component for the Mediterranean, as we discussed in our previous episode of the scheme of things. And we have all these other developments. So, in conclusion, what does this have to do with Pakistan? Well, for a matter of fact. now let me share something which uh, i it is something an extract from my upcoming perspective paper for cscr and uh, now that aman exercise has been uh, carried out by the pakistan navy just a very small example i am going to give a local example <laughs> now uh, there is an israeli na naval liaison officer in central command headquarters and the fifth fleet mind you now they have gone out and packed their bags from european command now they will have access to briefings about maritime security and developments in the indian ocean region particularly the western indian ocean so now whether you like it or not or whether pakistan concerns itself beyond the red sea or not israel has developed and gained access to critical intelligence concerning the western indian ocean and when we talk about israel we are also talking about the fact that israel has a reportedly joint intelligence base with the uae in sokotra island of yemen and we also need to understand the fact that india is a reliable 
an accessible partner for Israel when it comes not just to intelligence, but also the fact that the US and India signed a maritime information technical sharing agreement. This is also mentioned in my paper. Why is that important? I'll let the readers read details in the upcoming paper. But we need to understand that now the dynamics have changed. Now, whether uh, Pakistan likes it or not, there is camping going on. We obviously, we can still decide to remain neutral or try to reaffirm our credentials as a country which would like to stay away from these developments. But the fact of the matter is, whether we are talking about Afghanistan, whether we are talking about Yemen, whether we are talking about Iran also, all of these overall regional developments are taking place under the umbrella of Central Command. And which we obviously know has its uh, headquarters in Florida, but the Navy component is headquartered in Bahrain. So all of these things which are going on, now Israel is a stakeholder. This prompts the question, will Pakistan now in the coming future or in the long-term future, accept the fact that it will have to maintain some sort of uh, communication, formal military communications with a particular country, who knows? The fact of the matter is that whether there is any channel going from Pakistan or not, but the US is leading the effort. It might be the possibility that Pakistan would prefer staying away, but Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Oman and these countries, Kuwait, uh, Qatar, Bahrain, and these countries, they'll still be sharing their vital intelligence with J2, which will spiral and move to other countries to and from Israel. So now that that pool has been created, that common regional military intelligence pool has been created, where does Pakistan find itself? And to what extent will Pakistan try to assure its neighbor that its relationship will only be focused on the Afghan problem, quote unquote? Because obviously Pakistan's, I think the only, there are two in my understanding, I may be wrong, but uh, since I'm an analyst who has access to public sources only, I, I have no knowledge of what is going on behind the scenes. So what one can speculate is that the only two major interactions in which Pakistan has relationship with CENTCOM is the combined maritime forces with Naval Central Command for counter narcotics operation in the with various countries in the Arabian Sea and Gulf of Aden. So that is the naval component. And then we have the military component for peacekeeping in Afghanistan. Beyond that, I don't know if anything else is going on, but what would happen if the US Central Command insists that it is going to take multiple countries on board for decision making about the region, which could include Israel, and given the weightage it already exerts on the US establishment? I think we need to look into that. And this, uh, to wrap it up, is in my view one of the single most important defining uh, developments of. I would say this decade and this decade actually begins with 2021 post Corona. So this is a very important development. We will need to study this further and um, observers are uh, requested to keep an eye on this in the coming future, particularly those based in Pakistan. 
uh, uh, very significant development and uh, hearing you talk about uh, what's transpiring uh, Israel's inclusion in the US CENTCOM EOR. Um, uh, I, 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 I was uh, just recalling this uh, article that was uh, written by Musharraf Zadi uh, very recently. So he has talked about uh, the, about the global geopolitical environment at large, and uh, there was this line that uh, sort of uh, stuck with me, and that was that Pakistan needs to invest in a serious uh, examination of uh, the domestic political appetite for a strategic pivot to geoeconomics. So uh, this was this was something that uh, I found uh, very uh, I find I, I I I I was giving it a thought. Uh, uh, it's very ironical given the developments that are happening around us. Uh, uh, our pivot to geoeconomics uh, is it is it is it a right decision on 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 the part of our policymakers? So. Uh, Zagi, there is a lot to unpack, uh, and unfortunately, there is this paucity of time. Uh, we uh, have to we have to limit the session, but uh, uh, I think that uh, because this is the second anniversary has just uh, gone by of uh, the uh, uh, Balakur uh, crisis, uh, in which Pakistan shot down uh, Indian. Uh, Fighter jet, fighter jets, uh, MiG twenty one and uh, Su thirty. So this thing that uh, that Shishir Gupta wrote about in the Hindustan Times article about the, the India uh, deploying Prithvi missiles, I think this was the development that uh, uh, that uh, this this news that that came out after two years. Of what happened uh, back in February 2019, I think this has definitely raised some eyebrows, and uh, uh, this it has up the ante. It is up the ante, and uh, whether uh, the international uh, uh, community, uh, in particular the Bedway analysts, uh, who make up this. Uh, larger narrative of uh, India being a responsible nuclear state, uh, talking about uh, the robustness of uh, India's difference. Uh, I think they need to uh, reflect on uh, on on uh, on what they have been propagating since the last 20 years. Yeah, I mean, they kept on saying that uh, conventional, their operational doctrines and their conventional weapons are enough. And they actually kept on arguing that Pakistan's tactical nuclear weapons are offsetting the strategic stability equilibrium. And ironically, now the larger neighbor that deployed st a strategic arsenal against Pakistan, or that just goes to show you who is actually uh, uh, at uh, who actually uh, took the more risky move despite being a larger country with a larger conventional force. And I think it uh, merits attention, excuse me, that um, 
uh, I believe Asma Khaled wrote a very interesting perspective paper for CSCR on this. I found it to be a very interesting read about how uh, the gist of it is that India's operational doctrines have actually been, uh, what can you say, there has been an own goal from the Indian side yes. because you, you mentioned Shishir Gupta. Now, I think you would know that, uh, just in case the viewers don't know, Shishir Gupta is known to be a henchman for the Indian national security establishment. So whatever he is saying, it is 101% legitimate. Right from the horse's mouth. And what, what baffles me is that they actually, after two years, they actually want the world to know that we did this. So was that intentional to try to deter Pakistan? Were they trying to send out strong signals and trying to take a stand for what they believe in their perception to be right? I think nuclear scholars, especially... Uh, some of our more prominent uh, Western academics in the uh, strategic stability um, domain, they need to re-examine their uh, previous uh, analytical assessments on India and look at it more objectively and try to understand how things came about and how Pakistan, despite being provoked, did not rush to jump to the higher end of the escalation ladder as did India. Absolutely. See, uh, I don't want to take names here, but there is this uh, very acclaimed scholar, uh, yeah, the MIT, who has written a book uh, and uh, he's talked about how Pakistan has adopted the catalytic difference model in which uh, uh, the ultimate aim was to uh, use uh, uh, employ the threat of uh, use of nuclear weapons um, uh, so that uh, another th third party can intervene uh, uh, and defuse the crisis. So uh, Pakistan was used in, as an example and I think now it needs to be updated. Uh, it needs to be updated. That, that scholar is uh, yes, that scholar is <laughs> Is uh, has uh, is now uh, posting la large uh, these these multiple threads on Twitter about uh, this this catalytic difference thing. But now the the, dis the discourse the literature that has been written uh, till date it needs to be updated. And I think this is this is time that uh, the world needs to accept that Pakistan has been a very uh, responsible uh, state. Uh, uh, I would once again refer back to this uh, super piece that uh, Musharraf Zadi wrote. He has talked about how uh, the world didn't appreciate uh, didn't appreciate Pakistan's responsible behavior. We tried to diffuse the crisis. We tried to, all this time when India was trying to escalate uh, escalate it to a very dangerous level. Pakistan was trying to diffuse the crisis. And this wasn't appreciated by the international. This wasn't This wasn't acknowledged by the international. These efforts were not acknowledged by the Indian, uh, by the uh, international community. And it was all about uh, the, the new normal being established. Was it? My question uh, to I think the read, the viewers uh, will be watching this episode. They need to think uh, whether. Uh, uh, India has established this new normal, the new normal that was being referred to going in and 
going beyond the borders and foolishly talking about going beyond the borders and hitting Pakistan. So what, in act, actually, that new normal, what was this new normal about brandishing nuclear weapons? Uh, this the start of the crisis. So they, there was this, uh, there was this, was 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 New Delhi not confident about the abilities of its uh, conventional forces? Uh, I think uh, we all need to uh, think more on these lines. I mean, consider the fact that uh, to sum up what you have said, that uh, we have seen multiple uh, articles on CSCR. Even I have wrote one about India's uh, cartographic aggression in the neighborhood. So I think the stick which India wants to use as a or to manifest itself are the nuclear weapons. And this is extremely dangerous and disastrous because uh, this is uh, this thuggish behavior in the neighborhood. It serves no one. I mean, ultimately, you see that now um, India had to revert to its original position uh, concerning uh, Pangangso and the other areas. When uh, you you've seen how India had to, uh, Mr. Praveen Sawney recorded a lecture about how uh, um, India had to revert to the September 2020 meeting between uh, Foreign Minister Wangi of China and uh, Jay Shankar of India in which they mentioned five points for uh, de-escalation. So India tried to do its own way, tried to establish landing grounds in Arunachal Pradesh and advanced airfields, etc., etc. That was not a strategic uh, perspective. That was only a conventional front. It had to revert from that as well because they knew that the, they finally realized that the Chinese don't take nonsense. And the fact that Pakistan has shown immense restraint despite severe provocation, and uh, I think that the Pakistani leadership deserves immense credit, uh, the political and military leadership for exercising maximum restraint. And despite the fact that uh, there was a considerable appetite within the domestic uh, population that they wanted some further action, that uh, there was a, a, a responsibility was exercised and uh, only attempts were made to ref uh, refute rhetoric and try to maintain that balance which India had disrupted. So I think, yes, I agree with you, that particular scholar and many others like him who, you see, these are the moments in which you can actually see the sort of uh, um, ideological tilt which they have, the, the bias itself comes out. I don't Actually, see that is, sort of noise. I don't yes, see that sort uh, of noise. Absolutely. Now, there is another more uh, uh, interesting aspect. Uh, I don't know now this is being the, the, uh, some sort of impression is uh, being given that uh, regarding this the ceasefire that has happened um, that uh, once again this impression now, now the roles have been reversed initially they used to say that the civilians wanted to uh, uh, bring forward their the, the the hands of uh, bring uh, the, the civilians were interested in uh, making peace with India, but the military wasn't on board. Uh, this time, uh, you you can observe a certain uh, uh, twist in narrative, and that twist is that uh, they are trying to paint that as if as if the military is now more keen on being 
friends with India, and uh, this the civilians are not happy with with, the, with it. So this is quite ironical because in the last twenty years there was this impression that was being even even in at the time of, at the time of Mumbai attacks it was like that. Uh, uh, the, the, at that time, there was P pa Pakistan People's Party government, and uh, this impression was given perhaps that P PPP was uh, we wanted to uh, send an agency chief. Yes, one will bridge the gap, but uh, because the military wasn't uh, on on the same page, so this this terror attack happened. I understand. No, so I sometimes they suddenly label the um, the military on our side as a saboteur. For, of peace, and then suddenly now they say that they are the biggest lobbyist of peace. I mean that that whole labeling gimmick which is going on. Sometimes you label um, them as saboteurs, and sometimes you label them as lobbyists. I think once and for all you have to make up your mind. Ultimately, I think so far what we have seen and what has been demonstrated, Talha, is that there is irrefutable evidence that uh, Pakistan's leadership has displayed utmost rationality and consistency of thought. When it comes to handling any all or all sorts of regional crises, whether it is India or it is Afghanistan, but when we are talking about India, you can see that rationality continuing despite the change in political leadership. That is a very welcome development. Absolutely, absolutely, uh, Zaki. I think uh, uh, we need to conclude the session. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it was uh, great to have the show back on again. And inshallah, we'll be more consistent in the future. Tala, thank you for your time. Yeah. And uh, I know you're in a bit of a rush. So I wish you the well in that. And until next time, Allah Hafiz. Allah Hafiz.